accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. We're continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. And right now, we are up to the episode called The House of Quirk. It is the third episode of the third season. It aired on the 10th of October, 1994. Teleplay goes to Ron D. Moore. Story credit goes to Tom Benko, directed by Les Landau. In this episode, after Quirk lies about killing a Klingon in his bar, the dead man's widow abducts Quirk to the Klingon homeworld to marry him. It's just going to be me talking about this one, uh, but I'm going to play an audio clip. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to read some patron thoughts to help guide the conversation, and then we will break down everything about the House of Quark. I will have your house and your title, Rilka. And when I am done, I will place your head and the head of this ridiculous Ferengi outside the gates. Can I say something? It seems there's some kind of dispute going on over some land, uh, maybe some other property. I think maybe we should consider a deal. I should kill you right now! Maviot! Hugo, you cannot challenge this man in council without just cause. We will have to consider this matter carefully before a final decision is reached. Until then, the Brechtal will be respected. The house of Kozik is gone. For the time being, it will be known as... as the house of... Quark. Quark. Quark! The house of Quark. Okay, so this was an interesting episode. I usually, um... I usually have in the back of my mind that the Ferengi episodes are always ones that you could likely skip. And um, I, I don't know if that's fair. I don't know if that's deserved. It's probably like a TNG holdover in my mind uh, going into DS9. I know that there are some good DS9 episodes, and obviously Quark and the Ferengi are developed better in Deep Space Nine. But um, it's when you see the House of Quark come up and you see Quark standing next to a Klingon wearing traditional Klingon garb, you don't really get inspired to think that this is going to be a good episode. I think this is actually a very, very, very good episode. Um, it is very strongly written, written by Ronald D. Moore, who's moved over from uh, TNG at this point. He had written part one of The Search, I think, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, but this is his first sort of... Uh, solo script, I guess, would be the way to look at it. It's like his first real true DS9 episode because the search is a little bit separate from that being a two-parter and also being the reintroduction of the season um, and the Dominion stuff and the founders. So House of Quark is right in his wheelhouse where it's about a um, Quark dealing with the Klingons. You have the Ferengi mashing up with the Klingon culture. And I think even more than that, it is... House of Quark is interesting because it is an episode that highlights the meta aspect of Deep Space Nine in a way that um, really suits the series and it suits how it's going to differentiate itself from TNG. You know, if this was a TNG episode, it would not be really the same um, same structure and the same tone with it. I think TNG would take it more seriously. They play it as a comedy here, and I think it works because... 
I can only imagine that Ron Moore has been spending the five years or whatever he was on TNG writing all these Klingon episodes, coming up with this sort of parody idea of how, how you'd write about the Klingons. And it's told through the eyes of a Ferengi, which is interesting because as we've been developing the Ferengi into less of a joke, you actually have a good way to play them off of each other because they are cultures that are so different from each other that they don't really, you can't really obviously think about how they would interact in any meaningful, constructive way. But I think that the episode shows a way that they they can do that and they that they can work around each other's um, faults and their own faults. And they can come up with a a pretty interesting, maybe not ingenious, I was going to say ingenious, but it's not ingenious, a pretty interesting solution for both of their, uh, their means and how they go about things. So Ron Moore wrote this episode and it's... Um, it's very Klingon focused. It pokes fun at the Klingons while still treating them seriously in some regard. Like the the episode is a comedy, but they they act believable and according to what you would expect Klingons to do. Um, it's a I, I would describe it as like an operatic episode. I don't know if that's the right word, but that's what I think of when I see storylines like this. It's like a very grandiose. Um, sort of epic, but I don't really think of epic in the nature. It's more like a heightened um not farce but it's like a, it's like a heightened sense of uh, melodrama i suppose would be a way to think of it very grandiose actions and um grandiose plot threads and everything and everyone's acting very um heightened and i think the klingons fit into that mold always because of the way that they approach things and their sense of honor and how they sort of act as individuals it lends itself to that kind of storytelling but they flip it around here by making this actually a comedy and it's actually kind of a funny episode um i laughed out loud a couple times which is something that never really happens in star trek so kudos to ron moore for writing that um i think that the we'll get to the patron comments the patrons really enjoyed the i'll spoil it now the um what is it the the de gore house of whatever thing where court comes in and says that i thought that was very good i think that the um my favorite joke is the visual gag of when Quark comes into the high council and he's explaining something and all the Klingons are looking at like data pads as Quark is trying to explain um, accounting practices to them. And then Gowron just throws his on the ground and says enough of this. Um, that's a that's a very good that's a very good joke that really works for both what you would think of the Ferengi as Quark's uh, trying to weasel his way out of this and explain this and the Klingon reaction to being told about that. And, you know, maybe I'll, I'll work in some patron comments here as we go. Uh, Kyle Barrett says, The House of Quark, other than the tie into the Dominion, this is an episode I don't like to think too hard about. Sure, it's a lot of fun to watch, but the episode strays too far into the Klingon obsession with honor for me. Quark beats Degore just by throwing down his weapon and saying it would be dishonorable to kill him? How has no one done this before? Quark's victory highlights just how many loopholes there are in the Klingon honor system and makes me question how the Klingons can be so successful a, spe- so successful a species when their founding idea of honor can be so easily manipulated. I think this is a... I don't disagree with that point. I think it's a point that is something DS9 has a... So far, judging by some of the episodes we've had, DS9 has a... It's not a problem, but the way that they approach the Star Trek material sometimes leaves you with the opinion that Kyle does. And I think I had previously wondered it about an episode. Um, Does the metacriticism or the metacommentary sometimes step on the toes of what 
the lore is in the background like if you if you make an episode like this that is poking fun of the klingon honor system and it's really trying to sort of um play around with the fact that their sense of honor can be manipulated like that and as kyle says if this is the case how could they possibly survive as a species we've kind of talked about that the klingon thing too like you know you always have in the background are there scientists we never see any well klingon scientists there don't seem to be a lot of them they every time we go to chronos it's standing in the high council dramatically people yelling at each other threatening to kill each other and then some people actually killing each other but you never the bigger criticism i think expands beyond that it's kyle's point is right but i think that you can you can always get back to that on some level with these alien cultures you can always wonder how someone so how a culture so unnuanced and um, so one direction can actually function in this galactic society or whatever you want to call it um, i don't think it matters i think that you have to approach these ds9 episodes as sort of standalone or meta commentary which i've said a bunch of times but you have to look at it at more of a um it's like the star trek fans star trek i guess like we've we've talked about all this stuff so much now that we're just going to really break down and deconstruct everything and i think kyle gets that um i think it's just it's a it is a problem of i know that kyle you enjoy um the sort of the not the lore and the uh what the hell can't why can't i think of the word the um continuity of things and i think that episodes like this kind of interact with the continuity in not a great way while they're not continuity problems they just tend to highlight issues that you don't really want to think about as you're saying here i really liked it because i think that at this point i've seen enough of star trek to really want to step outside the uh the usual realm of things and i think this episode is probably one of the more successful attempts at doing that um it's actually funny it exists in the universe and still makes fun of it at the same time uh so i think it's an interesting breakdown you know, I, I think that the the acting in it is very good. The writing for the Klingons makes sense. Ron Moore coming over, uh, as we said, makes you know brings a Klingon voice to it. We haven't had a lot of Klingons to deal with on Deep Space Nine to this point. There will be more going forward, but they're a they're a culture that would be ripe for DS Nine just because they're so able to be um, parodied and to have episodes like this and to sort of goof around with them while still you can still maintain their seriousness, but you have to have a little bit of fun. It's nice to bring back Gowron, get all that kind of stuff going, get back onto Kronos, which we haven't been to in a while. Um, and it's, you know, we're familiar with the culture. It's easy to sink in, and it's just a nice one-off episode that also, while having a one-off story, it also is showing how DS9 is going to work the Dominion angle into the background of things, where Quark's bar is not successful at the opening because of the Dominion threat. Everyone is leaving. No one wants to be there. Keiko's school has shut down because the kids have all left uh, because this threat is in the background. And the episode itself doesn't deal with the Dominion at all uh, outside of just people mentioning is the reason why these things are happening. And it's a nice it's a nice sense of continuity. It's a thread that runs through everything. And you don't you can highlight you can have other episodes that do different things while working in the Dominion stuff in the background and not having an episode that actually deals with them in any way, shape or form. Uh, just sort of the ramifications of what that threat actually means for people. Uh, I thought that the comedy worked here, which doesn't always work in Star Trek. So that's very nice. Probably more often than not, it does not work uh, in Star Trek. Armin Shinnerman uh, gets a 
I think he says that on somewhere in memory off of this is his favorite, one of his favorite episodes, if not his favorite. And I can understand that Quark has to be the hero in it. He actually wins the day. He comes up with the solution, which is, as Kyle says, to not fight. And that uh, causes the infinity endless loop or something in the Klingon, the, the Klingon programming. And they can't figure out how to handle it. So as long as you don't fight them, they will have to... Uh, kill you without honor, I suppose. And that's just how you get around uh, any kind of Klingon problems. But I, and I think that the, you know, the B plot is the Keiko and Miles O'Brien thing where Keiko uh, has got the school shut down. Miles O'Brien is trying to uh, get her happy again. He knows that he brought her out there to the, the final frontier out here in deep space. And he's on DS9 working as the chief of operations. And she had to give up her career as a botanist to do it. The teaching thing fell through because none of the kids are around except for Jake and Nog. And, um, he is trying to sort of, you know, he's trying to make his wife happy. He realizes that it's his fault not his fault, but it's he's the reason that they're out there. She gave up a lot for him to be out there, and she gave up a lot of her own initiative to go out there and support him. And so he's trying to get things back up and running. He thinks he's going to make an arboretum for her. And then it all resolves, and he lets, uh, not lets, but he, he brings to her attention the fact that there's a botanist uh, job position needed to go to Bajor for six months, and Molly can go with her. Um, if O'Brien has a, uh, has, is having a hot little affair on the side, I think that the storyline makes a little bit more sense, but I guess they, they wrote Keiko out, uh, because they wanted to develop the Bashir and O'Brien storyline, which is, which is kind of a funny, you have to get rid of his wife, I, it is a weird thing. I, there's something, there's something odd about that on some level. Like I, I understand the time is limited on a TV show, but couldn't they just have more Bashir and O'Brien scenes like I don't need I'm, every time I see O'Brien I'm not like where's Keiko what's Keiko up to why isn't he with Keiko um but anyway they they wrote her out of the show for a little while her and Molly go off and O'Brien lives the bachelor life on DS9 where he gets to hang out with his good chum uh, Julian Bashir. I think that the I think that that story that B storyline is is fine it is it's a little odd when you have storylines like this where, speaking as a married person, where a married guy can't figure out how to make his wife happy and he has to go to everyone else for like advice about how to do it. It feels more like it's like a a, a teenage, like young adult storyline than Miles O'Brien, who is, what, 40 at this point, and he's been married for a long time, and you think he'd know his wife better than this, but it, no, he still needs to go for uh, support from others. Bashir was probably the worst. I think the Cisco scene actually works better, and mostly because it highlights uh, what kind of commanding officer Cisco is, where he's much more personal with his crew than Picard ever would be. I can't imagine that that scene ever playing out with Picard, eh, because Picard's not married, and so he wouldn't really have a he wouldn't have that sense of grounding to what his uh, rationale was. But Cisco really comes across as someone who cares deeply about his crew members and the. Um, it's a it's a more personal relationship than we've had with the other captains and other commanding officers. But Keiko's gone. She is off to the mountains of Bajor with a five-year-old girl for six months. O'Brien is just uh, living a bachelor lifestyle on DS9. So hopefully he doesn't get up to any trouble because, you know, he's, he's, O'Brien must suffer, but not, not for uh, anything untoward, I guess, would be the way to think about it. Um... But that's about it. I think it's a it's a solid it's a solid funny episode. I think that it's it's actually pretty good. 
Um, we'll play an audio clip. I'll come back and I'll read some patron thoughts, and then we will call this one. Uh, we'll get it over on it, and uh, I don't know what I'm telling. I'm trying to say we're gonna read some patient thoughts, and we're gonna come back and we will wrap this one up. I am Quark, son of Keldar, and I have come to answer the challenge of Dagor, son of whatever. <laughs> Whatever happens, I am proud of you. I wish I could say that's comforting. All right. So, patron thoughts. If you support the show on patreon.com slash the Penske file, you get, the, uh, you get to leave some thoughts about upcoming episodes. I read them on the podcast. We react to them. It's just going to be me reacting today, obviously. Uh, what did I read here? How's a Quark? There we go. I've highlighted it. So I read Kyle's, but we'll now move on to Zam Nuclear Wessel. House of Quark. Love it. Trek has rarely been great at showing how its own events become history, but this time it is. So in addition to being very funny, it has a sincerely epic quality, and you can see how the story of the Ferengi who married a Klingon might be told and retold throughout the quadrant. It's true. Uh, obviously, the Klingons like to uh, maintain their tradition and their like oral traditions and their legends and everything like that. This would be a good case for it um and i i think it's nice that they they never actually change their opinion of the ferengi because gauron's thing is like if you kill this pathetic little ferengi uh you will bring dishonor to yourself it's not that they recognize quark has been exceedingly brave or anything they are more just um unimpressed with him except for groka is it groka the, the 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 woman that he marries i think that's her name uh she seems impressed by it but everyone else is just kind of um, more disturbed that a Klingon would attempt to kill a Ferengi who is unarmed because that is the greatest disgrace that a Klingon could actually go through. Uh, Matthew Ross, House of Quark, an enjoyable romp that's light with maybe one of the better showcases of Ferengi obnoxiousness, aka way better than the writing on Discovery, with Degore, House of Whatever. It felt like a law school exam question on rights of property, ownership, and succession Klingon style. The confused looks of the warrior council being explained where money goes was apropos to a Klingon warrior system, which begs the question, who really runs that empire? It was interesting to see their machination and even Galron telling Galron telling Degore to chill with the hand wave, showing that their system, although barbaric, does actually have a rule of law. The O'Brien marital strife was for once seemed plausible, and I was happy to see it, probably because we know Keiko is going to be away for a while. The O'Brien side story did seem genuine. Keiko's frustration at being bored out of her skull on a station, not even teaching whom, uh, who teaches Nog, who teaches Nog and Jake now, Dabo girls, and Milo's attempts to mollify his wife. The doctor's observation on how to smooth out the relationship seemed mildly truthful, unfortunately from experience, and Dax is there. The fact that O'Brien felt comfortable enough to seek a shoulder and Cisco shows a nice camaraderie in the characters and what one would expect uh, in a boss-to-employee relationship. A quick, fun romp with a slight touch of the Dominion in the back of everyone's mind. Um, I think the, the, the Keiko... You touched on the Keiko being bored out of her skull. I, I think that makes sense, and I think everything in that storyline is good. I almost feel they could have stretched it out. I know that they're just trying to get rid of her, and I was making fun of that earlier for that being kind of a silly reason to get rid of her for a while. But the 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 I know the show doesn't really feel interested, but the strife angle between the two of them being stuck on this station that once she loses the school, she doesn't really have anything else going for her except... I, I don't understand why she can't be a botanist. I feel like 
in this Star Trek universe, there's nothing really stopping her from like setting up a laboratory to do botany work. Um, I don't know if anyone has any opinions about. It. I feel like you could, you can just get data, you can analyze data, you can do all this kind. Of, you can grow your own plants, you can do the science stuff. You know, the, she does. She's not limited in any way where she couldn't be a botanist. So that's one of. It's like a replicator problem. Um, how can people be hungry when there's replicators? But that was my only concern or takeaway from it. Um, the I'm just looking through this real quickly. Uh, I, 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 it did feel truthful. I, just, I wish it was. It wasn't written. Every time I see those scenes for the O'Briens, I feel like they're written by twenty-something single writers. They just—they don't really come across very well to me. And it—it's not a—it's not just like a problem with the. It's not the tone of the series. It's because the other characters have better interactions with each other, and I don't know how much of it is. I don't think too much of it is on uh, Rosalind Chow. I, I don't think she she can't not do it. There's just a there's this like melodramatic soap opera enus to their relationship. Like when they you know O'Brien is like, "Here's the dinner. Now let's fuck." And then they come out the door and she's in her bathrobe, like holding onto his arm. It feels so. It just feels so odd. And every time they kiss, it kind of makes me cringe a little bit. It just it doesn't feel entirely. It feels too melodramatic. It feels too over the top. Their relationship, and it's a little bit, it's a little bit unsettling. Um, I wish they would just tone it down a little bit and have them interact more in a um, sort of just neutral character to each other, like two neutral characters. They don't. They always act like they're playing husband and wife on some level. It never really feels good for me. Um, Stephen Cobb says the House of Quark playing the. Ferengi against the Klingons is an absolute joy to watch. The acting was really good all around from the Klingons. As noted when Quark said, I'm here to fight Degore, son of whatever, and all the Klingons gasp is hilarious. The humor in this episode is derived from the pointing out of the sillier aspects of Klingon culture. It works well because the Klingons are out of their element and Quark is very much in his element with a scheming financing uh, loophole using. As for the O'Briens, this is the closest they have come to being a realistic married couple, in my opinion, and the plot resolution provides an organic way to set up Keiko's ongoing absence from the show. Um, for the Ferengi thing, I, I I do think it's kind of an ingenious use of the Ferengi culture. Um, I was actually surprised that Quark would be interested in ledgers. That He hasn't really shown that to be the case, but you can understand why the Ferengi would be interested in looking at ledgers and understanding the finances of things. It's, a, um, it's an aspect of that species that we haven't really... You get the sense more that they're just con men and that they wouldn't actually be good at stuff like that. It makes total sense that they would be good at it, and they should be good at it, and Quark obviously is good at it. But I don't... It's... It just goes hand in hand with the the fleshing out of the Ferengi as a people, which is really kind of shocking to this point of how far they're pushing the Ferengi to um, reconcile them with this new universe where they actually they actually have to make sense. I think it's a good idea to do that to really develop them and have them be good at things as opposed to just being sort of weaselly conmen. Um, and again, I I just think that the Quark explaining the finances to the Klingon Council and them all looking disgusted is probably my favorite joke in the entire show. Uh, let's see here. Evan Coyne, House of Quark. A good story made great by Mary Kay Adams and Armin Shimmerman's performance. I, I'll stop that there and I'll interrupt the 
the joke where she's well i think it's after cork has exposed the scam that de gore is doing and she's like if you don't take your hand off my thigh they she does really deliver that very well i think the two of them play that scene really well that's another good joke um it's one another one that made me sort of laugh out loud but they do a very very good performance there the episode expands in DS9's subtle way, the Star Trek universe, by focusing on the Klingons through the eyes of a Ferengi. The lack of humans is not a hindrance to the episode, but a welcome relief after the scene with Miles and Keiko. Where Quark stands bef- uh, when Quark stands before the Klingon High Council to explain to Gore's financial scheming and Gowron tosses the pad aside, I had to hit pause. I was laughing so hard. Good, Evan. We have a similar sense of humor. Uh, he goes on, full of fun quotes and great performances, five out of five. I'm Quark, son of Keldar, and I've come to answer the challenge of Degore, son of whatever. Uh, this, I assume this is the episode we learned Quark's father's name, right? Keldar? I don't think we ever would have learned that before. Um, but yeah, 100% agree, Evan. Let's see here. Eric C. Johnson. House of Quark, amusing as a Ferengi Klingon comedy of manners is, I really want to talk about how this was the first solo credit on DS9 for Ron D. Moore, a TNG writer since season 3 who was initially frustrated in the wake of that show ending to Michael Pillar sending him to sh- uh, to the show two seasons in instead of being a part of something brand new with Voyager. In time, though, Moore would become Iris Stephen Bear's most trusted lieutenant, Riker to his Picard, and would help break that Ronberry ethos he had chaffed against in TNG. Moore once described TNG as pre-graduate college while DS9 was grad school. When Moore rebooted Battlestar Galactica a decade later, it was less a reboot of the 70s show so much as a, quote, what if I, what I learned working on DS9, end quote, combined with, quote, what I learned didn't work on Voyager, end quote. But that is a story for another time. Yeah, we'll have to, um, I've never actually watched Battlestar all the way through. Uh, maybe that's, I just, I couldn't really get into it. I probably needed to put more effort into it, but I, I couldn't get into it for whatever reason. I should probably watch it at some point. Um, yeah, and I like Ron more. I think I'm going to do a, a video or something about like the, um, the Mount Rushmore of Star Trek producers. And Ron Moore would probably be on there, spoiler for that video, but I, I think Ron Moore... People always have this sort of Ron Moore criticisms, which I think you can say about any writer. They have tropes that they go back to. But um, he, I think his his interests certainly align with DS9's in a lot of ways. Like his sort of military, he, he likes the chain of command military stuff. Uh, DS9 ends up suited that. He does well with the Klingon stuff. He's done the Klingons for, on TNG for long enough now where he can sort of make fun of them on some level on DS9. And I think it all works. Um I'm happy he's there. I'm happy that the TNG writers, some of them came over uh, from after TNG ended and moved on to DS9. Some of them went over to Voyager, but the ones that came to DS9, I I have no qualms with. Everyone who came over was pretty good. Uh, That's it. Those are it. Thank you, patrons, very much. Thank you for leaving your thoughts. Again, if you guys want to support the show, you go to patreon.com slash the Penske file, and you can leave your thoughts there. I'm going to rate this one a... Oh, and uh, we have one more, actually. Let me open this up. I can't forget. Before I give to the rating, we actually have, as soon as I go through, I'm sorry, I probably won't edit this out. You'll have to forgive me. I am going to open this, open this. This is not what I want. Go over here. Should work there. I apologize, but I have to remember these things. I have so many tabs that I have to click through now. 
It just doesn't really make sense. Holly McLaughlin writes, House of Quark, This is a solid five for me as it makes me laugh out loud every single time. The business acumen of the Ferengi and the honor focus of the Klingons clash in a way that's really enjoyable and really works. Grilka is relatable and sympathetic without slipping into the Mary Sue land, and I adore the Klingon method of divorce. Um, makes sense, the Klingon method of divorce, right? It's just you basically slap each other and then you yell at each other and that's over. They are not a, uh, they're not a culture that would be into um, a lot of law uh, and lawyer lawyering up and everything and deleting Facebook and all that stuff that the, the cliche trope is. Thank you, Holly, for your comment. Um, that's it. So those are all the comments. So guys, thank you very much. I am going to, uh, I'll rate this one now, I guess I'm a little bit jumbled in what I'm talking about. I'm going to rate this one. I don't think it's, I can't give it a five. Can I give it a five? I mean, can I, it comes down to that question about what a five is. And I think that I don't think there's anything really wrong with this episode. It kind of falls into the problem that we're going to have with DS9 ratings of episodes. I just, I have a hard time giving it a five, mostly because it is so specialized in what it's doing. I don't know if that really makes sense, but I feel like the the sort of criticism and the satire that it's doing here is, is difficult to rate that high. I, I feel like the episodes that get fives are more fitting with the tone of the series overall and i don't think that the overall tone of the series is what this episode does this is just an aspect of the series that ds9 would get better um at doing than a lot of the other sister series would be which is to poke fun at the star trek tropes um the other shows obviously do it i think ds9 maybe does the most successfully uh and i think that I think that though I think to get fives you really have to be in that wheelhouse of what a series ethos is. Um, I haven't really thought about that a lot, but I, th- I think that makes sense, and I think that might be the reason why this isn't. I'm going to give it a four. I think it's a really strong four. I think it's a it's a really really good episode. I definitely would show it to people. Um, it's it's an episode that I think s- stands on its own really well. It's genuinely funny. It's got good performances. The uh, the the sort of genre of the script is relatable to people who aren't into Star Trek. I think it's really it's really strong. I'm going to give it a four out of five. It's pretty pretty excellent. Uh, that's about it, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you enjoyed it. All the social media links will be down there. There's Facebook, Twitter, Discord, all that stuff. Reddit, blah blah blah. Uh, go to the Discord channel. There's good conversations going on over there. There'll be a link. You can do that. You can go to Patreon.com/slash/ThePensky File. That's the last time I'll talk about that. Check out Real Ripe and Real Rotten. That's our film podcast. We'll be coming back with uh, our Denzel movie. We've been uh, we've been on a hiatus because Clay was away for a while, but now we'll be coming back with our worst Denzel movie, Denzel Washington movie for Real Ripe and Real Rotten. And otherwise, we are continuing through. I'm booking all the guests for season three. Season three will have a bunch more new people in it, some patrons, some other people. Um, we'll be moving through, you know, pretty standard standard stock storyline going here (laughs) but anyway uh thank you guys very much for listening greatly appreciated thank you for supporting the show and outside of that we will be back right after uh, in a couple days what is after this let me click forward everyone's everyone's saying i already know what's coming out it's equilibrium it is equilibrium all right so we'll be back with equilibrium in a couple days see you then